Then she said, Ooh, you can't really know. I guess you want no business. Oh, baby, put back away. I'm getting up there. Say, she started with Hello again and welcome to yet another installment of the Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I'm Christine. And we are not alone. We are not alone. Today we are joined by a very special guest star. Uh, You have met her before, but she is back and better than ever. And it is the one, the only, Abby Denson. Woo! Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be back. We are delighted to have you. And what's great about having you is that you, um, it's not, it's not that you force us to do stuff, but it's like, oh, we want to have Abby on. Abby has a new book. Oh, great. And it has like a really specific theme. Great. We can do a really specifically themed episode. And suddenly we're organized. I still don't know what number episode this is, but it feels mm-hmm. like we're doing something right. Doesn't it, Christine? It really does. It yeah. really felt like I was doing preparing for a real podcast. <laughs> on Skype, as we all like to laugh about. People, do you know Skype is still out there and it's still a thing? Just a, a side PSA. Uh, Abby, we are delighted to have you. Um, <laughs> let's. But we're going to talk about a lot of things. Why don't we start by announcing what the movies we're covering are in case somebody hasn't read the synopsis that should accompany this podcast on their software that they use. Do you, do you want me to say it, or do you want Abby to say it? Oh, um, <laughs> I didn't. How about you, you both were... say it at the same time, and we no. see if you do it well. <laughs> that, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> um, I'm. I. I will say that I'm really excited to talk about these two movies. It was cool to have like air quotes homework, mm, and yeah. not just like a thing that we wanted to like. We just we, uh, deliberately picked because we wanted to talk about. It was fun to like explore other things. <laughs> Um, so we're going to be talking about 1969's Funeral Parade of Roses and 1985's The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. Um, two very different films. Very different, but what do they have in common, Christine? Um, great soundtracks. I wouldn't argue that. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is they're, true. That they're, that they're Japanese films? They are Japanese films. <laughs> I was like, wait, am I going micro or macro on this? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a very simple person, and it's a Sunday, so we're keeping it basic. Uh, yes, we, well, we kind of, that was the mandate to Abby, was, uh, yeah, let's, because we want to talk about something that's very exciting, um, and it would fit, so I said pick two Japanese movies that we haven't seen, that we haven't talked about, and that's what Abby came up with, and Abby, why did I ask you to pick Japanese films? Because I have a new book out. It's Woo-hoo! called Uniquely Japan. So, <laughs> thank you. It is um, a really cute hardcover book that is multimedia and it covers different cultural topics about Japan. I think that this is good for all ages, personally, and it includes comics, illustrations, photos, and text by me. So it's kind of my first multimedia book project and I'm I'm really pleased with how the the hard copy that came out I really recommend to check it out it's a really uh, adorable hardcover book with lots of great colorful 
things to look at on every page and uh, very educational, even if you know something about Japan or if you're just starting to have interest or if you have a kid who might have interest, it, it can cover all of those audiences. Yeah, I would think of it as like a travel guide, but really fun. Like the, it's the kind <laughs> of travel guide like I would want to have if I'm traveling. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I so there as you mentioned it's like mixed media. There are a lot of photographs which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Are all of those your photographs that yes. you took? Most of them are, but I definitely want to give credits to the other photographers, but uh so a little backstory is that I've been going to Japan every year for at least 10 years, kind of in between 2010 and 2019. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> so, um, and I first actually studied in Japan in 1997. I went to Sophia University summer session when I was first becoming interested in Japan and comics and, you know, uh, making my own comics. And I was inspired by Japanese comic scene and comics culture uh, to do that. And I made friends there and liked to visit. And it was definitely a life-changing experience. Um, so uh, I would just visit often whenever I could. And I had all these great photos. And I already did two guidebooks, which is cool Japan guide and cool Tokyo guide. But those are fully comics, almost like in a graphic novel format. Um, but I did have all these great pictures. And I was thinking it would be good to do a book that wasn't so much of exactly a travel guide, but more of a a book that explores and uh, explains certain cultural topics. And I was happy I got to use my photos, but it took a lot longer than I was thinking to just go through <laughs> all the photos, right? Because uh, when you have 10 years of photos. <laughs> Were they all, yeah, did they all start digital or did you have to go through like physical albums also? I went from 2010, so actually they were digital. Okay. But the, the early ones were off a digital camera. And then as you might imagine, in the later collections, they so were nice. more yeah. um, from iPhone and iCloud. So I did have to do a bit of work getting them all together um, and sorting them. But uh, the other photographers, uh, Stephanie Hans, who is also like a really amazing artist. She does Marvel cover, comic covers. She did the image comic Die uh, with Karen Gillan. So if you're into comics and love gorgeous comic art, check out Stephanie Hans. But she's also a really, really talented photographer. So some of them are from her. Some of them are from my husband, Matt Lux. And some nice. of them are from Yuko Koyama, who's my longtime good friend there, who was featured as a cartoon character in my other guides, too. Nice. So, <laughs> so I believe that's everybody. We Most of them are mine. Again, I just there were a couple of... Um, there were a couple of holes in uh, the, yeah, I'm looking inside the book and yes, <laughs> there were a couple of holes, uh, gaps of things I wanted pictures of that I just didn't have. So I sure. kind of was able, they helped me out. So nice. <laughs> thanks for asking. I'm it, glad I get the credit, everybody. It yeah, was, it was, yeah. It was a really cool and unexpected element yeah. as I've, you know, we've talked about previous books on here with you before. And I was, I was expecting it to just be an illustrated guide, which would have been great, but like to have the actual pictures in there added like a different dimension to it yeah. and made it very real. And I especially like looking at all the food stuff. It oh, was yeah. really, it was really cool to see like the, the cartoon almost like breakdowns of what makes up certain, you know, traditional Japanese food and then to have like a cool like actual photograph there and I'd be like oh look it yeah. was it was really neat because I especially when it comes to like food and particularly Japan where there is like a cartoon element to some of it it's like I'm on the parfaits page which is page mm. uh, 83 82 85 
uh, somewhere in the 80s. And it's so cool because you have like, I mean, and Asian desserts especially are always very odd because it's that like dessert. Um, and I mean, I have experience for, uh, of it slightly differently. I lived in Korea for a year and dessert was the most fascinating thing to me because it like, it wasn't natural to the cuisine the way like almost not every, but like a lot of other cultures, it's a very like normal, like, okay, now we're doing the gelato course. Now we're doing this, but where dessert, like aside from fruit, when it came to any kind of like cake or something else, it was always this like really weird mix of like savory and sweet and cake and candy. And, and, but like the color was the biggest part that like, it always looked really pretty. I remember one day in Korea having, um, seeing green tea cake, which is a very popular cake, but it had like strawberries and whipped cream and tomatoes on top hmm. because it was one of those, like probably like, well, tomatoes are fruit. It's pretty. It looks good. So we put, put it on <laughs> green tea. Well, it makes sense. And like that, like I think of that when I think of like Asian desserts that you get in cities of that being very texture, very colorful and this neat mix. And it's like really like very much fitting to when you're mixing illustration with words, with actual pictures, like it's like you're seeing the cartoon like literally come to life, and it's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm always dazzled by the parfait displays. So that was I definitely had to feature that. Like nice. I even uh, own a little one I got and <laughs> one of the models. Um, but yeah, it's incredible. Like that's one of my favorite things. Uh, there's as a visual artist, you see so much aesthetically. Yeah. in Japan that is um, different than here and to my mind it's a lot more pleasing to my personal visual sense of pleasure <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's one of the really fun things about Go it's just like seeing all those things and the design motifs and the yeah. emphasis on certain types of design that I enjoy yeah I think it's something you see a lot like in fashion when you can start to like clearly identify Japanese fashion like there's something just so not western about it as far as the shapes go mm. uh and it's just a neat a neat thing and like it and it comes across um in your pages in a really cool way thank you um what would you say um is your favorite uh favorite section of the book well really any of the food sections because yeah. i really love drawing food and i i just always did i you know for a long time, ran a dessert blog, and I loved drawing the parfait. I actually really love drawing the sushi and the onigiri and things like that. It's just really fun, the shapes, the colors. Um, but, uh, like, some other ones I liked was the tengu page because that, that ended up being more of a complicated drawing than I normally do, and I was I was actually, like, pretty happy with how it came out. And, you know, as an artist, sometimes, you know, you're your own harshest critic. So. Sure. You might not always like how everything looks immediately, but uh, I liked how that page came out particularly. And I also liked drawing like the print club and the, the gashapon was really fun to like uh, the gashapon uh, to explain that is that's a um, it's like a little vending um, box that uh, you put. It's like a coin machine that has balls that have toys and things in them. So a coin-operated toy dispenser, I guess, is a good way of putting it. it. Um, we have similar things in the U.S., usually at the grocery store. It's like candy yeah, that's been sitting in there for 35 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah usually it's just not – usually can get a better uh, better goods. Like, for instance, <laughs> I actually got a Chucky uh, action figure out of a gas <gasps> upon nice. in, um, in Tokyo one time. 
here, unfortunately, no. You tend to get salmonella out of it. But uh, you can get, you know, it's like that. But I had fun drawing those things and the video game um, arcade booths and things like that, too. Very cool. The consoles. Would you ever do the same concept for another country or region? Or is it that Japan was so kind of close to you? Uh, I, I mean, it depends on the situation. I feel like I know more about Japan and had like more of an interest in it to do it. But I also like going to France and Canada and I live in New York. I, you know, I think it would be fun to do a New York book. Yeah. But um, Do a New York book. You should totally do a New York. I should maybe one, maybe I should. People yeah. demand it. Christine demand it. Oh my it. god. I mean, I would like to see it too. I would like. It. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I mean, but this is. Um, it's so funny because you, you know, I, this is my third book about Japan, but I feel like I would never call myself an expert. <laughs> it's just like I'm an expert on the things I know and like about it. I'm not like an in-depth professor or anything. <laughs> so I'm always, I'm always ready to learn new, something new and ready to admit I don't know everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the only way to approach something that's so kind of large. Like yeah. you know a certain segment of it, and that's mm-hmm. what you know, and and. I, I get that way, too, when I'm trying to write about a genre of movie or, like, you know, something something that's really large. Like, of course, there's no way I'm going to see everything or know yeah. everything, but you can just kind of talk about the little corner that you do feel really well acquainted with. <laughs> I think that's yes. the way to do it. it. That's why it's actually funny about movies, because uh, despite what people might expect, I am not an expert on Japanese cinema. I just know what I like. Mm-hmm. So I present what I like. Well, it's I forget too just how like and it sounds dumb to say but like how much there is of Japanese cinema that we never even get access to and Oh yeah. Like I mean when we go into especially Funeral Parade of Roses I think it will come out a lot of like these great progressive like fascinating really well done movies that we've never like it maybe haven't really been available here and people don't talk about them because they weren't available here and i think about that a lot with like when I, i'll try to remember I'm like i know i've like i was thinking about it the other day of something that reminded me of like oh i've this was a japanese horror movie that had this plot line what the hell was that movie i'm never going to be able to remember that movie and if i even try to google very specifically it's gonna be really hard to find because there's so much like genre film in japan that just never gets brought over because there's I think, I mean, this is just a guess that they put out so much. And it's it's a shame in some ways, but it's kind of exciting on the other because then you get to, like, discover things like that when you've thought you've seen it all. Yeah, I'd say um, I really love, like, I've actually got a Criterion uh, channel subscription, which is really more just like the streaming service. Yep. And they have uh, so much. I have a really long queue. Nice. And even if I were to filter it just to Japanese movies, it would take forever. <laughs> Yeah. to get through but they have a lot and also um funeral parade of roses is uh on canopy which is amazing so like if your library runs canopy you can get it for free watch it for free and it is uh canopy also has a lot of japanese cinema so i would definitely uh, recommend if you're interested to check out criterion and canopy yeah both good sources so, Abby, where um, can people find your book? And also, we should say, me and Christine looked at the, the PDF version of the digital version, and it's so cool looking at it on a screen. So I think the, the hard copy is, I am sure, much cooler. 
Yeah, uh, just my website's abbydensen.com, so just A-B-B-Y-D-E-N-S-O-N.com. And uh, same with my, my Twitter and my um, Instagram are at Abby Denson. And, uh, but the book is available anywhere books are sold. So uh, you can just get it at any bookstore, like, you know, your Amazon, your Barnes & Noble, your favorite indie bookstore. And I also just signed a bunch of copies at that New York location of Kino Kunia, so um, you can get signed copies there. Very cool. Fantastic. Uh, We will put that information in the show notes if I remember, which I think I will remember. Uh, (laughs) I guarantee I will this time. Uh, But yeah, we cannot recommend it highly enough. Christine, did you have any more to say on Abby's wonderful book? Um, No, I just, I think that even if you think you might not be interested in the subject matter, the way that it's presented is really engaging. So you should look at it. I would Because it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right, so uh, we had said to Abby, uh, throw us out a bunch of titles, and she gave us a bunch and looked through them, and Christine and I came to these two. We, so, you know, How did we come to these two? We literally said, oh, these two titles. And then- Did I, wait, did I, oh, did I do that thing where, so, okay, like, you've, we've, we're, like, we're all women, and we've all been in groups of women where, um, and I don't want to, like, it's not a woman thing, but I feel like it happened to me a lot in college with my roommates, where it was one of those sayings of what if one of us just wanted to do something, it was fine. It's like, okay, let's all go out to this restaurant. Great, done, good. But if it was like, hey, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. We could do this. Yeah, we could do this or this or this or this. And then we would spend three hours debating what to do and during that time just watching Law & Order SVU on, on repeat. Um, so that's why I like Abby gave a list of like six or seven titles and I went through and I'm like, okay, these are the two I think I'm leaning most towards. Let me present these two to Christine and see if she agrees. So I, I thought I presented it to you as a choice, but I guess I did not. No, I, either way, it was I, I didn't look into anything because I I trust Abby and I I tr- obviously trust you. I but appreciate like I, that. Thank you. I was like, whatever she's gonna bring as an option is probably gonna be at least interesting or like worth talking about. So I was not concerned at all, and it honestly paid off for two. Yeah. For me, this was throwing darts at a very large dartboard and just being like, mm, guess this is what I'm watching. Yep. <laughs> So for me, it went really well. And Christine, you had heard of Funeral Parade of Roses. I, I had have, never yeah. heard of either of these films, which I'm I'm embarrassed by in many ways. Yeah, one of the bootleg shirt sites that I really like had done a Funeral Parade of Roses shirt, and now I'm fucking pissed that I didn't get it. <laughs> oh, I want one too. <laughs> I was like, oh, now this is great. And it's like, it's an image from the very end, the very end of a very evocative image Mm -hmm, that we'll get mm -hmm. into. And I'm like, motherfucker, I wonder if I can find that shirt. Oh, so good. So that didn't spoil the ending of the movie for you, though. You weren't like remembering that poster and thinking, wait a minute. No, because this is a very, it's a very, it's a a very fluid kind of, I don't want to say abstract, but there Mm. are abstract elements in it. And I did not know what, no, there was no knowing how it was going to end for me. Yeah, let, let's dive in. So Funeral Parade of Roses, we are going to go through the plot in detail, or I mean, like, whatever, the, not necessarily the plot, but what we're going to say things about that come up. We're going to, I don't know why I'm just not saying we're going to do spoilers. Like, why do I we're think spoilers spoil is a dirty it, yeah. word? But, you know, so if you have not seen it, um, do, again, it's free on Canopy. Uh, is it also on Criterion? Uh, it, it's not streaming this month. I think it was a couple months ago. But you know, you can always. I would say it's totally worth it to buy the Criterion yeah. edition. Like this is not. This is For a good sure. one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 
they're all pretty good, but this is a really good one. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll say right away, the one regret I have with this movie is I, I watched it and I thought, I need to watch this again. Uh, and I did not get a chance to watch it again, but it feels like a, a movie that you... Um, you're going to find more and put th- more things together with multiple viewings because there's a lot going on. It's very dense. Um, it's but it's a fantastic. Even I mean, even as a one-off watch, it everybody should watch it. I'm going to start with that. So, Christine, can you give us a synopsis of the movie? I I surely will try. Um, so it's a uh, about a oh boy, so. <laughs> So it's about a, I guess, a bar or a, a, nightclub. a, a social club, a social that, club I like that. that allows people to interact with um, uh, uh, trans women. And there's a lot of drama in it and, and, and overtaking people's spots and coming to terms with past trauma and knowing who you are. And it's all like... With within the framework of this very classical Oedipal story of you know child murders one parent and then sleeps with another parent, um, and I think that having that really um, that I don't I almost said generic but that's not what I mean that very lived in um, old well established interesting trope having all of the stuff fit into that made yeah. this extremely watchable because you yeah. already knew the beats because it is an ageless story. And there's just, it's just in a new setting that you've, not just the time period, which would be the sixties Japan, um, but like it's Japan too. So I didn't, I didn't have a great place to grab onto, but the fact yeah. that it was this, this, the story is what it is it made it very accessible I can't stress that enough. It is yeah. a very accessible watch. Also, to grab onto completely, because this is a very avant-garde experimental movie. This is not, it's not linear. There's a lot of camera things happening, musical things happening, um, visual things happening, where it feels very, like, trippy in that way. And you're absolutely right. Having that, um, you know, this is actually just Oedipus Rex around it, grounds it so that you you can even if you're not always a like like I can sometimes not check out but I, sometimes with movies that are very uh like Jordorowski-esque like that kind of thing sometimes I can have a hard time staying in it because it can feel more like an art project than like a film and this it, I mean it is an art project it is very much influenced by modern by the modern art of the time and by absurd theater and all of that but you're able to ground yourself in it because of that um abby when did you first see this movie so i I feel i was very lucky that i did this but i believe it was probably 2017 or 2018 there was a 4k restoration of this movie that came out and it was at the quad cinema so I saw it on the big screen for the first time oh, nice. and it was really amazing. Like if anyone ever gets the chance to see it on the big screen, I recommend it. Also, if you watch at home, turn your lights off, put it on a big screen because it is a very um, aesthetic experience. It's a very visual experience and it is a psychedelic movie experience at some points. Um, like this is a 1969 movie. <laughs> so, oh, and, yeah. And, and uh, it has, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure how deep we're going to go into everything at this point in it, but um, 
you know, I think seeing it on the big screen was really great. And, and uh, I actually was really lucky and saw Stardust, Legend of the Stardust Brothers for the first time on the big screen, too. So as you can imagine, it, it was like, oh, I love this movie immediately for both and of them. Both must. I mean, Stardust Brothers would play differently with a crowd just because it's so like everybody would be laughing and cheering. With this one, um, what was it like to see it with an audience? I think everyone was pretty quiet and respectful, even though like it had surprising, I had a lot of surprising things in it yeah. that surprised me um, and twists and turns though. The movie does spoil itself at points. And, and I, I think we should, we could get, and also if, if you don't want to be spoiled, the, the trailer, the original trailer spoils it too. So if you go the story, <laughs> so if you don't want to be spoiled, you got to be careful, but um, it's, it's really interesting to me because I had never really heard of it. I, I knew like I'm interested in cult cinema and gay cinema, yeah. queer cinema, however you want to call it. Like I'm interested in those things. And um, so I, when I heard about this restoration screening, I was like, I want to see this. And of course I'm interested in Japanese culture and pop culture. So it's like, okay. And then I, it went really beyond my expectation. Yeah. And um, yeah. yeah, especially the first sequence, uh, the way it's filmed is really gorgeous. This really, there's like a very artistic but very intense love scene, and and the way the sex scenes and love scenes are in this, it's like actually I'm watching it. I'm like I can't even believe this came out in 1969. I know, and I'm watching this. <laughs> yeah, and that's what like it, I was mad watching this movie because I'm like, how have I how have I never heard of it? How is it not like a drag staple? How is it not a the way like Paris is burning is referenced? How it's so surprising to me, and it's I'm sure it is. And I mean, Christine, you might know a little more on drag culture than I do, but I feel like I have never heard of or seen references to this movie in in drag culture of like where my eyes go. And it seems like such a like it should have been such an influence or such a like a, a, a landmark for it. Well, yeah. So that's a really good question, and I, I don't know, but I am I'm very curious because, and and I'm not just saying this because it's it's in the zeitgeist, but the our our protagonist um, Eddie in the movie is uh, I swear that is Will, drag queen Willow Pill from this yes. season of Drag Race. Yes. And the, this her styling, her choices, like. Willow's choices like the the it could the very just mod be, look too like now that you're be, saying yeah. that yeah yeah it could be just as simple as like because arguably Gigi from uh season 12 pulled from the same from a same mm. bag referential yeah. bag of like 60s mod clothing style but like there's something about the um the black comedy that willow uses as well that really really made me feel like well if if she has not seen this movie she should because i think that she would really like it i know (laughs) like if she if it's not like if it's not a deliberate like i see myself in this story and this character and this aesthetic i think that she would enjoy it because it yeah it really is it's and to go back kind of to the sex scene thing it's it's it was shocking to me how modern and progressive and yeah. and and like true it f- still felt. Yeah. I don't I don't know. There was something really. I gave it five stars on <laughs> right, when I rated but... it. It it honestly, it's probably one of the most remarkable things I've seen in a really long time because it also intercuts like like documentary style footage and interviews and stuff, which were all very illuminating and interesting and and still relevant 
I believe to queer culture. Like, I think that there are probably queer kids today that could watch this and be like, this person is speaking to me from from 1960s Japan years ago yeah yeah and I think there's something really I mean it's kind of sad that we're we still need to have these same conversations but also it's really great that like you're not the first you're not you're not really blazing the trail that you maybe think you're blazing like other people have done this and felt this and struggled with this and uh I think for that reason on top of the fact that it's like a legitimately amazing film like there's we put that cultural stuff like that queer culture stuff in it and it's it's really, really, really fantastic. I can't thank you enough, Abby, for, yeah. I, I want to say forcing me, but it's not. It's just sometimes, <laughs> especially especially the way things have been the past, like, two years, like, I don't want to challenge myself all the time. Mm. Like, I kind of want to wrap myself in the blanket of watching Identity for the ninth time. <laughs> but, like, there is something, as I fancy myself a bit of an artist, there's something about witnessing beautiful art that that is inspiring even if it's difficult oh yeah i think that it it's good you brought up all that stuff and i actually there is an interview with the director on youtube i found um that is really good and let me see if i can i wrote down yeah if you just search it or if you search funeral prater roses interview you can actually find it you just have to turn on the closed caption and it it does have an english option and it was a little bit under a half hour it was super interesting Uh, i really recommend it um but uh, he talked about how he was trying to he wanted to do something that was about the gay scene that was starting to burgeon in Tokyo at that time, but also something that uh, also just addressed like what was going on with like what I would call the hippie culture and the mm-hmm. counterculture. Um, and, you know, there's drugs involved and also um, the, it, it just was really interesting to me how in the form of it, whenever the tension was going high, which was happening with some of the kind of intense sex scenes, it would sometimes cut right after it I'd actually almost um, like they pull out and actually show the the crew wrapping the scene and it immediately cut the tension and made you almost kind of chuckle and be like, oh, okay. So you had this like really up close, very intense sex scene. Then like suddenly you see everybody's cutting laughing and uh, putting and... their clothes back on yeah. and then talking about it and then going to an interview afterwards with the actors about like their experience of being gay or trans, which like the, the terminology they were using at the time was gay boys. So they were using that for everybody. But now yeah. I believe they, you know, and I'm not, spe- I can't speak for anyone in that identity, but I would say that the terminology, I think they would, many of them would be using now is trans because they were expressing in the interviews that they would wanted to be girls mm-hmm. or felt like that. And most seemed to be living that daily lifestyle. But um, the terminology was totally different, but it was like so fascinating to see yeah that right now and to see it through our current lens that oh in 1969 there was this whole scene happening and i also super loved the psychedelic hippie party scenes <laughs> where they're like whenever it would know, flip to like the pot. circus music i was like oh dude, joint, a joint yeah team. yeah it's it, it, i feel like structurally it was very experimental the way it would cut from like the actual drama of like the edible drama in between that and interviews and the sort of comedic sped up things which like you might have read this too but it's like widely commented that i guess kubrick was really inspired by scenes from this movie for parts of clockwork orange and you can really see it yeah 100 percent. if you've seen the clockwork orange and then you watch this you will definitely see it 
I think something that to me was really interesting, and I didn't look too much up on um, Matsumoto's background, but I, I, I'm like, I had to assume watching it. I'm like, I feel like he must have come from theater. He because and like theater in the '60s was was similar to I mean, everything else in culture, but it was when you had this very experimental theater of the absurd. And, like, the club is called the Janae, which has mm-hmm. got to be a reference to Jean Janae, the playwright. And, like, what I really, like, found neat about it was it somehow felt like, and it could just be because for me, like, I, I like, ha- not, like, I don't have a theater background, but, like, I studied theater a lot, that it was like, oh, this feels like exactly what a translation of what that theater of the absurd is to cinema in a way that is pure cinema, like that it doesn't feel like this could have been anything else but a movie in a way. Um, and just the different tricks he's doing, the different cuts, the different, like the documentary pulls, then the crazy music, the like cigarette burning at the image of someone. It was like almost multimedia, but yet in a film in a way that was, I don't know, it just made it constantly visually different but not in a way that could be very annoying if done just to like look cool. Yeah, I felt. I mean, overall, again, you know, as a, as a visual artist, and and in his interview, he see he actually started out um, being into surreal, like being a surreal visual artist. Makes sense. And he was into Janae. He mentioned that like when this movie debuted in uh, the U.S. It was along with Jack Smith's Flaming Creatures and um, another movie by Janae, which I'm not forgetting, remembering the name right now. But um, it was uh, super interesting to see the interview and hear him talking about it. But uh, just visually, uh, like the clothes, the makeup, I'm going to say this about the other movie too. The clothes, the hair, the makeup, everything. My eyes were so happy at every moment watching this movie because – I mean, and the the gaze again. I I love my gaze to go over beautiful people's bodies and beautiful people's faces and their hair. This is the G A Z E gaze, right? Well, yeah, I, feel like, gaze. I like my gaze. I mean, I like both gaze. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. The, I was meaning with the Z E, but you know what I, I mean. I, it was. Gaze. It was. It was very uh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> my my eyes were gazing. Uh, in pleasurably upon everything going on, even though um, there's tragedy. And, and yes. it's sort of funny because after we talk about both of these, like <laughs> I actually found uh, by accident, they both have really similar story plot points. Oh my God, you're you right. Have, you may or may they, not have yeah, noticed. They there, really do. There's a surprise spoiler alert to Legend of the Stardust Brothers, which we will talk about shortly. Um, but yeah, there's a surprise father paternal reveal. So these go really well together together. Uh, in many ways, which I didn't expect totally because I actually right. did in my list, there were probably like eight choices and then you chose these two. <laughs> so I was like, oh, they actually are perfect together. They really are. Well, even like, <laughs> and I mean, I don't, I'm not jumping ahead to Stardust Brothers, but like, they're something that I think is so um, like interesting, particularly about drag culture is just the, the artifice, the work involved in the artifice. And I say this as somebody who is not good at makeup, not good at fashion, like all of that. And yet I, I love watching it and whether it's um, like no matter who is doing it and th- like th- it, that is something that is a big part of both because like obviously if you're rock stars and Stardust Brothers that image crafting and what you wear and like what your hair does is really important and in this like just it's not even seeing the transformations because I, I mean 
all of these these women are are stunning and beautiful and and the things they do to themselves to adjust some of their features are just again stunning and beautiful um but it's something that like you just i don't know you you watch and you just i think the one thing that was surprising to me was when they're out like in public was thinking like almost rolling my eyes at times at how like everybody stopped and stared at them because i'm watching them i'm like if they walked past me, I, I would just think that these are some like teenager, teenage girls walking past me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but apparently like a lot of that was actually real and that was them filming and they would film like somewhat guerrilla style where like, no, no, no like, and it might've been the cameras too, but that you would look at these beautiful, gorgeous women and not, and not even and, like even realize that, oh, they are not what you expect them to be is just like odd in that own way, I guess. Well, I will say Eddie, uh, who's played by the Patrick Peter or actress Peter. Um, yeah. Amazing. Uh, in the interview they were saying, uh, the director was saying that they were looking and looked at over like a hundred different people. And that finally they were referred to Peter and found them, um, in a bar in Rapungi and, uh, you know, entering the room, Peter captured, everybody's attention there was What's a shocking about glow. that is it feels like this movie was made for her like yeah. that it was she inspired that character and that's what it is and it's so sometimes like when you realize like oh no no like that was an actor who fit the bill right you're like it's it's like it feels like it should have been the other way because she seems so unique and tied to like i can't imagine anyone else giving that performance or look yeah yeah no um eddie is like a luminous person, gorgeous, wonderful to look at. You can understand why all the men are enraptured. And, yeah. you know, you just want to keep looking at, at, like, at the different actors and actresses and everybody in the movie. Like, everybody, like, in the actor, I think, oh, uh, the one who played the lead, he, uh, he, I think, was in one of the, he was in Seven Samurai, hmm. according to the interview I saw the director. But uh, apparently he got cast um, that the director asked the uh, the gay um, and trans characters or actors uh, who they wanted and they picked that actor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. so wait, which but, which actor was this? I believe they, uh, the one who played, I think the character was the, the, main, the main lead. I think his name was Ia. Uh, okay, because I was going to say, do you mean that the, the filmmaker character who looked exactly like Adam Driver? Oh, that was a different <laughs> character. No, I was talking oh, about you know, the uh, I j- I just had to bring that up in the in the moment. Yeah, he was good looking, Guevara. I see it I now. I do see it. He had the fake uh, beard. Yep. I mean, the fake beard just just added to the illusion. I was fine with everything going on, and when he showed up at the beginning, I was like, "Oh my god, the resemblance is uncanny." I hope this isn't a one time thing. And then he was deeply in the movie, and I was like, "Oh yeah." So. <laughs> so that was it was it was alarming and anybody else if anybody else has seen this and wants to agree with me please let me know i was i was taken out of the film for a moment i was like <laughs> uncanny resemblance but i loved it it was great he did yeah yeah actually <laughs> i see it I it was great right. everybody so that's just more of everybody looks cool and i thought kind of what emily was saying earlier of like i the amount of effort that people put into looking a certain way is something I don't relate to at all. But it's just so wonderful to see people use makeup and clothes to to like transform yeah. into like this 
this I would have to assume an ideal uh, ideal version of themselves, and I just don't have that drive. And I admi- I admire it in other people. <laughs> it yeah, and I sometimes wonder like how much of some of the like you know prejudice against uh, queer people who especially who do um, transform, how much of that is this like almost jealousy of that sense of like, I don't understand how you can be so much more in touch with this than I am. And like, there are, you look at Eddie and Eddie, I'm like, not saying like, Oh, Eddie is more, more woman than I am. Like, but like, I could never do what Eddie does. And that Eddie wasn't born to do that is, is insane to imagine. Yeah. It was Mr. Ida was what I think they were calling the the milkweed. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, I, I believe me, I have deep envy for that kind of intense uh, t- talent with makeup and hair and everything. Whenever I see a drag race or anything like that, the late 60s, eye makeup of, uh, you know, especially European films, yeah. <laughs> I'm always really blown away by it. And I so far have not been able to master it at all. So <laughs> I'm always right? impressed. Like, <laughs> like, like I still don't know how to do a smoky eye. Come on. Come on. Yes. Challenging. It's not as easy as you might think. No. (laughs) As people who don't wear makeup might think. It takes practice. Um, But yeah, like it, it just, uh, anyways, I just really enjoyed it. And it, it, a couple things I want to comment on just like about um, Japanese, uh, like, movies and, and rules about drugs and drug culture. Definitely don't do it. Don't ever bring mar- try to bring marijuana or any th- drugs into Japan. Don't even think about it. It yep. is really illegal. <laughs> so you don't want... And uh, th- just because they had, you know, a whole drug dealing and taking scenes in this movie. Yeah. I think both of these movies uh, are... It's interesting they both show them. I feel like they both are kind of anti-establishment. Um like either in message or at least the characters are they're irreverent and both kind of psychedelic too. So they're, they have a lot in common, you know, mm-hmm. we'll get into the second one more, but I did want to just caution everybody uh, just cause you see it in these movies. <laughs> do not. That, that is a very good warning to, to put out there and you are 100% correct. And yeah. And, and that is another just like rule of international travel to anybody is like, know what the rules are before you go because you know yeah look it up yeah they're not the same everywhere <laughs> and you could you could find yourself in a very bad situation if you yeah agreed yeah um the i guess like we can get a little bit into the ending but i mean yeah it, uh it it is an oedipus rex story and it turns out eddie or mr ida right is actually eddie's father uh, we, we get a little, uh, a little stabbing, a little eye poking, a little Andalusian dog reference, I thought. Um, yeah. and it like, again, it, it, it is a sad ending to a movie, but it feels like so the right way to end it. Cause it gives you this complete arc of, um, you haven't just watched an experiment. You have, you've watched an actual story. Yes. Yeah. I, I kind of, um, you know, I, it was, and I think Gonda is also, maybe it's Gonda Ida is the name of the father character, but um, it's, it's really sad. And uh, it's another thing about the movie. I, it wasn't, I forgot that it, it had a tragic ending. But I wish it didn't. I always wish that about movies, but I feel like the ride is so entertaining and oh, well, it's just so good. And I really like and care about Eddie that 
it's just so enjoyable to watch that I almost forget that the ending is tragic <laughs> and it's still worth it. I don't think that it will. Um, it's kind of almost, you know, because it's a classic story and it's a, over the top. It's not as much like a gut punch. It's just kind of like, oh, that's how it ends. Yeah. And there's <laughs> clues throughout. Like it's not, you know, there. I think at one point, like, isn't Eddie standing in front of a poster for Oedipus Rex? Like it's it's there. It's, you know, um, and that's. I mean, that, that is what tragedies are, like the Greek tragedies and Shakespearean tragedies. They begin, and the whole point of, oh, it's a tragedy. Okay, so that means we know everybody's going to die, or or a hero is going to die, or however it's going to go. So mm-hmm. it feels, I don't know, it feels fitting to me. Like, I, I would like Eddie to have a, a happy life and entertain the world, because I would, I would go to her shows. But sadly, uh, that, that's not uh, what the fates say. Yeah, the, that would be the only reason to make a do a remake i bet you could cast <laughs> with a uh, rupaul's drag race um really? folks and do a, a remake someone try it out <laughs> well, yeah and that's what still is shocking to me that i just haven't heard, i that that i had never and maybe i'd heard about it without like ever putting it together but that this doesn't come up more in those discussions feels like a a, a shame and i hope it gets more views out there yeah, I hope so. I think it, anyone who's interested in, you know, SA 60s movies or, or experimental movies, if you're interested in drag culture, if you're interested in Japanese culture, I know to me it was like, wow, this is Japanese hippie culture. And like, I really don't know that much about it. And I always, I really like psychedelic uh, US and other international movies. And I feel like I haven't seen too many examples of them from Japan. And again, like the interviews, I really felt like it gave me a very interesting you know, vision into what was going on then. And I really love that. Yeah. I don't know that I can't think of other Japanese movies of this era that I know of and not that they're not out there, but that, that I've seen in that are probably popular to the West that are actually set during this time. I feel like when I think of this era, I'm thinking of movies that came out that were set in feudal Japan or um, set in the future and all of that. And so it's like, no, this is just as of its time and yet futuristic in its own, in, a, in its own odd way. It's very cool. Christine, before yeah. we leave this funeral, do you have <laughs> anything more to say? Uh, I don't think so. I did check and that shirt uh, is no longer available. It was from rough cut fan club and it was designed by Hyde sister who does a lot of really great work on criterions and album releases and stuff. Yes absolutely great but like i i don't know like i can't recommend it highly enough and if you're like me and you avoid challenging watches or have been um i think it's worth it because yeah like we we've all repeatedly said i think having it in a classic structure does soften the blow it doesn't feel like anybody's being um unfairly cruel to marginalized characters or or that's it, a it really kind of, good point. That it makes it almost yeah. like a fairy tale. Yeah like the we, the the danger and the the tragedy it doesn't come necessarily from them being queer. It yeah. is faded beyond that because it's an Oedipal story. And while there are things that happen, it's never this is there is never um, what you fear the most when you watch a movie about gay characters that that doesn't really come to play here, which is actually really refreshing. And I don't even think I realized that until now. Yeah, it's, I, I, again, I highly recommend it. Um, 
it's great, especially if you're interested in uh, Japanese films, you know, gay culture, things like that. And um, another thing that's kind of interesting is that they cut, it's kind of almost cutting three styles where it's like you have the drama of the story, you have the, this other kind of picture of amateur hippie filmmakers that are probably, I'm going to guess, sort of, you know, semi-autobiographical <laughs> <laughs> yes, I characters that. in there. Then you have that cut with, um, you know, the interviews with like the real life people who are playing the characters. So it really is totally fascinating the way they did it. <laughs> Completely. And you you don't know where where the fiction, where the film ends into an actor playing a part, playing a thing, which is also really Janae. It's very much like that's um, like his most famous play was The Maids and the play is supposed to be where two actors play two parts, but rotate who they are and they don't, and their names constantly change. Like that whole idea of identity and even outside the actual aspect of, Oh, somebody changing who they were, maybe um, the body they were born into, but that it's also this, who is the actor? Who is the character? Who is a character in a story that's already written? Like, there's so much to it, man. I need to watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the most uh, experimental movie that I like. I mean, I like a lot of cult and indie um, unusual movies. I don't know if I always feel like I'd say I like experimental, but mm-hmm. like this is, it works really well. Yeah, it really does. All right, so the highest of recommends. Um, any more to say on Funeral Parade of Roses, or shall we take a quick break and come back for Legend of the Stardust Brothers, Brothers, Brothers? <laughs> which is our past, to 1985, The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. Uh, so another movie I had never heard of. And this one is like almost more surprising to me that I hadn't heard of, because I feel like like somebody should have recommended this to me at some point in life, based on many of the things that happen in it. Um, but so, Abby, tell us uh, first about your first experience with this movie, and then we'll make Christine tell us what happens in the movie. I was very lucky again and saw this on the big screen. I saw this at Japan Society, had a special screening. I think it was 2019, not that long ago. And I think this one was something that was kind of buried or just not available possibly ever in the U.S. And it it got a uh, re-release and they had a, I think there was even a director q and I can't remember now, but it, it was really fun. I recommend Japan Society in New York. Support them, please. Um, but yeah, and it was amazing. Like I knew I would like it just right from watching the trailer. I got the Phantom of the Paradise vibes. Oh yeah. I, um, and I love that. And I got the new wave vibes and the cartoony vibes. So I was like, and and that audience was more rowdy. I think people were kind of shocked and delighted from moment to moment, uh, by what they were seeing. 
Um, and uh, whereas I feel like with funeral prayer to roses, people were just like stunned, digesting, and and they uh, just like, wow, I can't believe this. But uh, Stardust Brothers is a bit more of a party movie. I'd this say. would be a fun, yeah, big screening. Like you want to watch us with a crowd, and it is on Amazon Prime. So those of you who uh, are trying to find it, it might it's other places too, but Amazon Prime it was there as of a week ago. So uh, Christine. Oh, I would boy. like for you to tell us the plot. I was, I've been looking forward to this all week. <laughs> I won't lie. Uh, tell us about the plot of The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. I don't know if I can. <laughs> um, and not in a bad way. So it's about these two people that are forced to start performing together if they want to be famous. Mm-hmm. And they turn out to actually be brothers. And their, their their father is like the big businessman, like Quincy Jones, or whatever yeah. that person would be. But it's also like about the fleeting nature of fame and popularity, and, and pop of, music in particular. Yeah, and like some, maybe sometimes being told what to like. So I mean, when you say "Fan of the Paradise," it's not just because it's like uh, a trippy song laden film. There's like it's it's all it's about culture and pop culture and and fame and and just the kind of like all right that's we're over we're done doing this what's next kind of feeling and um again really fucking loved it phantom of the paradise is one of my favorite movies um and it it's it's really weird and i don't even know if the plot matters that is to say (laughs) that it's almost unlike phantom of the paradise which is which is a like a in my opinion, a cohesive narrative with a start and an end. And, yeah, and well, and it's a classic, um, what is it, uh, it, Mephisto story or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, and there's a bit of Dorian Gray. It's got, yeah. it, it, it pulls from a lot of uh, referential stuff. Um, but this almost felt like vignettes or rather music videos all strung yeah, together with yeah. similar themes. So I don't know if it's that important that you're like fully invested in the story that they're presenting because it is, I hate this. It is a vibe. It's very, it's very much a vibe and funeral parade was kind of a vibe too. Um, but this is, this is like, yeah. Cause the songs are all varying degrees of great. I think that there are some that are amazing and sup for me and some that are like, okay, this is fun, Mm -hmm. but, like, put with the visuals, they all make up their own little stories, hence the music video thing. Well, and it kind of does, like, in a way, in a very different way, obviously, but, like, what Funeral Parade of Roses does, which is, it's not about the story, it's about um, what the mood it's giving you, it's about these songs and these kind of wacky characters and these things, but we're going to wrap it around in a really simple story about two guys who want to be famous, who it turns out they love each other because they're brothers. Done. Like, it's a nice, clean yeah. narrative in its own way. Yeah, it's, that's good. It's hard to explain it because it has a lot going on. <laughs> and yet it doesn't. Like, because as we're saying it, we're like, yeah, like, there's, like, it is. But yeah, like, what is it? It's like, the two guys, they become a duo. They, every, as every duo happens, one of them uh, goes down a dark path and the other one can't uh, be with him if it's if be, and as, that was something I really liked about this was the um uh the whole and I wondered like there's that Simpsons episode where Bart is part of a boy band and it turns out that boy bands are like very manufactured and they're government sponsored because they're trying mm-hmm. to in that case it's join the navy is what they're preaching and in this one like it's the same like it's the the man who is overseeing the music industry 
is making hits, which, I mean, let's face it, what that's what most of American pop culture is, too. And he is paid by the government um, to occasionally make sure that it's moving the teen culture in the right direction. And, like, there's a little subplot where they, where once they're done, right, like, the new hot idol uh, is a danger because he's been put in that in that role, but yet he's evil and whatnot. But like, not really. I mean, kind of. I guess he is. Yeah, but well, should we spoiler what we find out at the end about his father? Yes, of course. His father's Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Randomly, it's so weird. It's so weird. And that honestly, so that character is my favorite character. <laughs> his, his song early on was the best one. Oh, I it's agree. Good. Yeah, that was my favorite song. He and he was so good and weird. Everybody was so weird. And in that twist, while making no real sense, made fine sense to me. And I thought it was like, yeah, this is great. This I'll is go what we're doing. Absurd. Very, very strange. But yet not. This movie is very absurd in a way. It was joyfully absurd. It's really funny. I also think it's this one's anti-establishment. I feel like it's also irreverent and also psychedelic. Those are things that relate it to Funeral Parade for sure. And some of its side gags are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I I have to say I definitely love – I like the the brothers are Shingo and Khan, and I love Khan. His style is so cool. He's got, like, that sort of mullet with – Oh, Khan's a cool guy, yeah. Cool guy Khan, as I like to call him. outfits. The outfits on everybody are amazing, and it's, like, hit after hit with the outfits. Mm -hmm. I can definitely shot each outfit. And the earrings. Um, What is the female's name? Marimo. Marimo. So they have a manager who's like first a super fan or like she wants to be famous. Um, They kind of have her be her, you know, president of the fan club. But her earrings the entire movie just were adorable and heavy and cute. Oh, my God. Her clothes and her ponytails and buns and great, great hairdos. Yeah, the whole one hit after the other with the looks. And like, it's just. Amazing. And, and there's certain things I want to mention, um, kind of like in Fans of the Paradise, you know, how they had death records here. They have um, atomic records, I think it's called. <laughs> but like it was very similar to like Phantom of the Paradise and some of the scenes about them trying to get into this building to submit their, yep. you know, like or they're trying to get in. They were invited, but Marimo couldn't get in. And she was always dealing with these uh, security guards who are like, you know, leather Bikers with teens, oh, I which is them. very much like in *Fan of the Paradise*. Yes, <laughs> you'll remember that. Um, I love the opening scene, which basically framed by them doing a cabaret show where they're telling I, the story of what scene, happened to them. The opening of this movie, which is their duet in a in a in a like you're saying, like in a cabaret kind of hall. And nobody has time for them. Nobody is enjoying it. Everybody is rolling their eyes as they listen, but they're having so much fun. And I, that opening song just made me smile so much where I'm like, okay, this is setting up a movie I want to watch. And the opening credits where the names of the credits are on the instruments and on the food oh, yes! and on the stuff. Like, there are a lot of really inventive visual things going on here. Yep. And, and I should note that the director, Makoto Tezuka, is a son of... Osama Tezuka, like the godfather of manga. Oh, so neat. That just uh, that's like a connection there. But yeah, this is um, yeah, visually it's a real treat. And and yes. I will also note, like in the previous movie, Funeral Parade, they had some really innovative things going on with cartoon bubbles. Um, 
that were imposed on images at points mm -hmm. that was really groundbreaking. And here there's a lot of interesting, fun stuff going on with the visuals. So, Yeah. the This movie, um, no die check, I'm like, when a movie that everybody talks about, or like not everybody, but like everybody we know in the movie world talks about constantly and is really overrated in its own way, but yet it's a movie I want to be different, this is the movie that I wanted the Apple to be. Yeah, I mm. still never watched that because I don't feel like it's for me. It's wildly disappointing. Like it, sh it, it on paper feels like what what this movie is. Like it's this weird, futuristic, goofy, and it's a musical, and it's this. And yet, it, after the first ten minutes, it is just boring, and it doesn't have the energy to sustain itself. Whereas this one, which I was worried about, because I'm like, it starts so strong, and then it has to go kind of up and down. Um, but it does maintain, like, even at times where it starts to feel a little repetitive, part of that is the structure. We're like, right, now we have to have another set of characters trying to get into the offices and being kicked out by the security guards and just constantly rotating who that is. But it, and this is, it's short, this is like 90 minutes, and it actually, like, is really tight in that way. It doesn't feel like it's wasting time, even when it has multiple just like complete fantasy sequences like we got zombies in here we should talk about the zombies oh the special effects yeah it has actually pretty good special effects um i watched the, i actually have the disc nice <laughs> so i watched the special edition you know special features nice. i did watch the interview tomo haraguchi is the name of the person who did the effects um the way the movie came about is harua chikara the musician actually had done this whole record of songs uh, with the story that he put into the songs and he wanted to make a movie. Um, but he, he had it on his mind, but didn't make it until he met this director, Makoto Tezuka and they got along and he liked the previous films that he had seen from the director and they decided, Hey, let's make a movie of this record that I wanted to make a movie of. And they used music industry people that were friends with, um, Chikata, uh, Chikata who was, and he was a producer. So that explains how this happened, because uh, if you just watch it, you're like, is it a musical? Like, how did they come up with a story? Because it does seem a bit like music video after music video. Yes. But it's all really great 80s new wave music. If you yes. <laughs> so it was actually, it was based essentially on an album as a movie. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's what I found out in case people were curious about that. Um, and it was partly sponsored by Cebu Department Store, which I'm hoping is where they got a lot of awesome 80s clothes fascinating yeah yeah but it was an indie movie it was you know they had to kind did it of do get... well i know i read somewhere that there was like a couple of years ago there was a sequel that i but it's not i couldn't find it anywhere yeah they did it uh in the interview i watched he called it a remake but i was not able to find it to watch yeah. so um i in the interview the director uh was saying that like and I think most artists feel this way. I know I feel that way sometimes pretty often, but like right when after you make a thing and it's done, you don't really want to watch it or read it. Yeah. <laughs> and you just kind of need time in between it. And then later you look at it and you realize you made something that was good, hopefully. And I think that that is the experience he had, but um, he didn't really get, it didn't get widely reviewed and seen. And then he only, he didn't get very good reviews in Japan. So it kind of bummed him out <laughs> at the time, yeah, but we less... love it. Oh, it's listed as 2016 
and even on IMDb, like you can tell, like there's no like no character names in the um, like in the bios of the actors, which means like okay, who, like IMDb didn't care about it, or like nobody like has dug it up. And I know I couldn't find it when I was looking around on like Just Watch. Um, so and it, it, the sequel is called The Brand New Legend of the Stardust Brothers. So I'm really curious because I, I feel it. like it could be like you could do it an interesting sequel to it, or even like a what is the scream term a requel or whatever stupid terminology reboot, whatever. <laughs> no no like, like reboot i think is like now like reboot's what like a gen x or say like now it's something else it's like a re- oh. requel was that it christine <laughs> well yeah it's a requel a reboot is when you just restart the franchise and a requel is when you you do a soft restart but with the previous uh in other words a requel is a sequel can we all agree a requel is just a sequel right? it is but i think the goal is to make it mm. be able to keep going without the original people mm. Mm. Yeah. in a requel. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, I did not hate the new Scream as much as some people on this phone call. <laughs> I didn't hate it by any means. No, I, I liked I Scrifivum. I just didn't like that they um, didn't call it Scrifivum. That was my problem. Yeah. Well, and I, I could admit got... they were just the fifth. You know. I got the 4K Steelbook in the mail, so I'm going to no. watch it again probably. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you my own Fancy. steel cut 3D printed five that you can I, just tape to that I'll box. I'll tape to it. I'll tape to Good. it. Good. You're right. It just says Scream, and who knows? I might be reaching for Scream and accidentally pick up. The and you watch the wrong one, and you're like, "Oh, Billy was the killer in Scream. I didn't know that." Yeah. So there. I'm talking about the original <laughs> Scream, which I think I can spoil after 20 you plus can, years. I think I'm not talking about Scream Five. I, I think, think you're safe. It's fine. Sorry, I didn't do it on that tangent. Um, I have two things that I want to say about this movie, and then I, I have, I have spent everything I have to say, and they're both really conceptual and weird. And I'm really sorry if this gets rambly, but what I found really interesting was that when it was a movie about the music industry, and so like any any pop culture industry, then you can kind of place it on top of it mm-hmm. i thought it was interesting that they had one of the main characters start out as a fan and it was it was cool that we were acknowledging um fandom's place in pop culture and i don't feel like in this country we still do that yeah um mm-hmm. which is weird because our our oscar which we're not going to talk about the oscars but the our our present oscar debacle of like fan favorite or whatever they called it is basically that acknowledgement without acknowledging it. Acknowledging well, in I will throw something out you. People. It yes. I think we acknowledge it when it suits um how do I say it? Uh so I'm not a um I've never read 50 Shades of Grey and I'm not a Twilight fan. 50 Shades of Grey was was fan fiction turned into a multi-million dollar property. And there is something very like you know, and again, I'm not like I'm not talking to the quality of the movies. I never read them, never saw them, but the added attack people could make on those, they used that of oh, and it was just Twilight fan fiction, so that's how good you know it is, kind of thing. And yet, I'm trying. I can't think of a good example, but I feel like there's a lot of horror dudes who have made fan fiction into or fan fandom turned creation into like a thing that people respect. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I feel like it can be very gendered. 
Um, it can be very gendered, but I don't, I don't think that we're open about that when it is the case. Mm. I think that there'll be obfuscation unless it's then turned into, well, you're celebrating it because your characters are named Lieutenant Voorhees and, and Captain, yeah. you know, Myers. Like, <laughs> great. Like, cool. We get it. You know things. And, he, and here's think... Chief Leatherface coming in to save the day. <laughs> that's, that's when I do mine. That's what I'm doing. Oh my God. It's can you please to... do that? <laughs> Yeah, Lieutenant uh, Leatherface. Lieutenant <laughs> Leatherface. That's super interesting uh, that you brought that up, and I think that uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll give a little bit of my small insight into please, Japanese pop culture with please. some of the stuff. Is that um, now I'm not an expert on the music or the scene or the Japanese movie scene. I do know a little bit about comic scene, manga. Um, so they have a lot of very popular self-published fan comics there mm. and they're they make them based around you can be have them based around real people they can be based around video games they can be based around um comics or movies people like so it is a thing where you can go to a comic store in japan and find a lot of uh gay romance comics about star wars characters just in case you're curious Nice. <laughs> I mean, that I think somebody here art that somebody drew there. Now, of course, it's not legal. I'm sure. I mean, not here in the U.S., right, but right. like, um, and the Marvel characters, DC characters. The only reason I'm mentioning the U.S. ones because that's what the listeners will be familiar with. But it's very they base them off of you know Japanese video games and Japanese comics. But like, there are some U.S. ones. Uh, but that's just what a thing is that people to become professional comic artists or manga artists will self-publish and create their own comics that are about like a thing they're a fan of first. It's a very, very common way of mm -hmm. starting out. And, um, and I don't think that it's a thing that necessarily um, people here may not generally know about it. It's called Do Dojinchi, which is like the self-published comics and they're like really popular mm -hmm. and you can mm -hmm. go to a comic show. And I remember when I, that was very, um, I felt it was extremely novel to me to be like, oh, I'm at a comic convention and there's like a gay romance comic about your favorite baseball team <laughs> and I could buy That's it, fantastic. you know, yeah, you know, it's like a thing and I don't, you know, it wouldn't really be a thing. I mean, online people are definitely uh, posting comics and fan comics for fun around, but there are a lot more deeper concerns about getting sued and things like you probably wouldn't, yeah. you know, do that about celebrities here and put it out widely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it's, but, it's a real interesting uh, difference in fan culture. I think obviously fan culture has become a huge topic of conversation in the US because of, you know, people insisting that people's insistence on certain supremacy between Marvel and DC, like that whole thing. <laughs> like, so that fan connection and that grassroots fandom is becoming more and more prevalent, but it's not treated with any type of respect. It's not treated like we still don't give it the mainstream uh, recognition that it can sway a group mm. of people or that or that the sway of a group of people can change the course of popular culture. I mean, K-pop is a huge thing we can yeah. point out in this in this country. I just think it's really interesting that I noticed that I kind of hypothesized that and then I wasn't completely making it up. So thank you. Abby, for... no, well, well, <laughs> I mean, every, you know, it, it's like fan culture is definitely different everywhere. And, yeah. And pluses and minuses everywhere but it is interesting that I, I think the whole thing that happened with twilight I, I can't even get into that but uh you know i just with i'll say with manga and within the comic scene 
there that's the way you learn i mean i learned yeah, drawing yeah sure. by drawing my favorite characters that's how you learn if you're going to like if people are going to be out there uh looking down on people who are learning it's like this is how most people when they're teenagers and stuff learn and when you're an early artist you learn and you usually learn by um you know what you like and you want to create something that is like what you like and again like with this movie in the interview um the director fully said they liked fans of the paradise and rocky horror picture show they liked those kind of movies and they wanted to make a movie like that and i think that he did pretty well so yeah (laughs) like those movies check it out and only with a really awesome new wave soundtrack and a lower budget, but it wasn't a, I mean, it wasn't a, um, you know, a studio movie. The lower budget is really movie. charming at times too. Oh, yeah, like, sure. There I are, think... yeah. When like, they're like in a cafeteria dressed up as like a stage, you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, it didn't take me out at all. And yeah. if anything, I thought it was uh, really resourceful and it mm-hmm. made me respect it even more. Like, wow. Like, this looks great and I can see your potential limitations and I don't care because how resourceful you're being. Yeah. Was there a second thing you were going to say? Christina? Oh, I don't it's, to, uh... it's just silly. It's just silly. So I felt like, Oh, this is very fan of the paradise energy. Like not, not just because of like the genre that it happens to fall in, but also because of what it's tackling, but also there, Emily brought it up when they're at the beginning kind of like lounge singers or they're just singing for these people don't, that don't care. Um, that's something that that's imagery that the weekend uses in one of his videos specifically, yeah. but this journey of stardom is something that the weekend does in his videos. And it's, again, it's just this another like, Oh, I see, I recognize this storytelling. I recognize this story in the way that it's being told in these little vignettes or segments. And it's just, really cool and if anybody likes the weekend at all you should watch all his videos in chronological order because they're they tell an amazing story that's cool. all <laughs> let's check it out yeah like i definitely i noted here cautionary tale on manufactured art slash popularity that's what this is uh, definitely about <laughs> for real and oh, yeah. and it's cool because that's kind of i don't know if i should be surprised but it's like a timeless thing now like a timeless story to tell and i i think it's i think it's really cool that there's an example from this era yeah yeah and, and like i want to also mention the uh some of the more of the visual stuff because and it is definitely also i feel like a pretty like gay friendly movie it's not exactly like about that like funeral parade of roses was but you have a lot of that like new romantic new wave androgynous style yeah. mm-hmm. you have uh, well, we're spoiling it. Right? It's like in the last movie, surprise, their dad was the producer. Surprise, he was gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did not see that one coming. And, yeah. And after I watched both of them, I was like, oh, yeah, this, these movies go so well <laughs> together. Thematically tie together. <laughs> and surprise, actually, they both die tragically. <laughs> Um, doesn't have a happy ending even though I feel like it is an uplifting I actually felt like this was a pretty uplifting movie even though technically it does not have a happy ending Uh, I like to imagine that it was all a show and in the end they'll get up at the end but um, yeah I would agree with that but one of the things some of the scenes I thought were particularly funny that I wanted to point out is that basically at the end it's basically a full-on kind of party riot with like all these random people running around and for some reason the stardust brothers are dressed and um 
Let's see what was it. And are all dressed as a bride. They're just as brides and grooms. One of them, one of the brothers is dressed in a wedding dress. The other's in the groom's outfit. She's in a wedding dress. And I just was like, this is a really great uh, three-way thruple fantasy with yep. like a what is gender situation. Yeah. Well, and their entire and relationship is sort of like that because it's yeah. not really romantic between um, like it's like you're like waiting for it to go a certain way. Like, oh, is it going to turn into a love triangle? Like, is it not? Like, it never does, but it feels really right that like no no these three people are meant to be with each other and help each other and fight with each other and wear wedding dresses together yeah and like and also like there was a really funny um i had to mention it too there was a really funny uh sight gag where she's running from the evil son of hitler singer who (laughs) was trying to like get after her so he could uh cause a um what do you call it? A scandal. So he, he yep. could become more famous. And I, he, she like turned into a, a critter's ball and rolled down the yes, stairs. Yes, she falls yes. down the stairs, then turns into a ball. I, oh, yes. I, imagine I can't it, like, believe I almost ball. forgot that. Yes. And then we and had a flat like, person. Like in critters. She turned into a ball, rolled down the stairs. Yes. And then the rest of it is just them, the three of them in wedding clothes escaping him and, and this crew that just gets and the, it's just really uh, chaotic and fun. And but I loved the whole thing with them. I was like, oh, they're all, like all in wedding clothes for no good reason. It's not commented yeah. on at all. But Except it's that it's like fun and looks great and gives you that bigger scope of when you have a crowd, you have wedding dresses and it just adds this like zany element that is there to it, be zany, but it's fun and it works. And, and it was super interesting too. I thought like with her character in the beginning, at first it seemed kind of like to come off, she might be like sort of like an annoying little sister yep. type character, but their relationship actually. And from the beginning, they're like, you're coming with us. And it, there's not yeah. any creepy thing around no. it. They're not trying to take advantage of her. They just become a trio of friends who are trying to help each other become successful. And I found it, like, it's extremely, like, heartwarming and pure. <laughs> it yeah. really is. Like, they say, like, they have just met her and they're like, no, we're not going to sign the contract unless she's in, too. And then, like, for, like, throughout, they are constantly like, where is she? We need her. She's helpful. <laughs> like, it's cute. It's sweet. Yeah. She runs the fan, the fan club yeah. and, she, you know, rightly says, like, the fans are really important to your success and they all acknowledge that. So it's really cool. She knew where it's at. Yeah. I was touched. <laughs> also, cute. Yeah. Also, I wrote some comments on the music where I thought it was a little bit like Kaja Gugu or ABC and a little madness. There was one song that was a little ska sounding. Oh so my gosh, like the ska that. one. Abby, Abby, when the, the ska one, when all the ska guys came in and they're all like, you know how it's like I, there's so many people here and everyone needs to look busy, but no one's actually doing anything. There yes. were so many great examples of that i shrieked a couple times it really is there's levels of enjoyment to this honestly i'm forgetting a bunch of stuff (laughs) yeah i took a bunch of notes i like that like the bands when they're at first in rival bands and khan's band is called (gasps) london boots and shingo's band is called supercars and i feel like his band was kind of like george michael kajagugu and then like khan's band was sort of punk rock and he's such a dick to his band which is oh, yeah, hilarious. hilarious. Oh my God. That scene where like, where he, where they're just, they hate him and he hates them. And mm-hmm. it's just, I, I love when a per, when a character is just an asshole. Like it can be so amusing and it really was. 
he eventually comes around. I, I also recommended Roxy. I mean, I also wrote down Roxy music, Wango Blanco, and Pet Shop Boys about oh, yeah. the music. I was like, it's kind of like this, that, and that. So if you like all that. There are, like, a lot of different styles. Like, the, the music itself, it's a bit, like, it all feels of its time. It all feels 86. But within, like, they all do feel like they all could have been on MTV in a top 25, like, rotation. Where they mm-hmm. they are not that crazy musically or that different musically, but, like, they have very different voices to each one of them. And visually, they... Like, they feel each like a different music video in a good way. Yeah, I got to listen to these songs a lot more. I'm reminded. (laughs) They're good. Yeah. And again, a a random zombie sequence for no reason at all. Yeah, no reason at all. Oh, yeah, and like the weird baby thing, right? Like, it gets gross. Like, there's a random scene that's just, like, kind of terrifying, but like, and I can't think of any of the good um, videos now, but, like, remember, like, when you were a kid in MTV and you're watching, like, video after video of, like, sexy girls dancing and Madonna doing her thing and, like, a hard rock band doing their thing. And then you get the random horror video with puppets. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what that felt like to me. And I enjoyed it. I used to be afraid of that um, Rolling Stones. No, it was a McDagger Too Much Blood video. Because I think that really had, another, maybe it was Undercover of the Night. They had a couple really violent videos. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was scared by as a kid. Yeah, I was with you. And it's cool. But the, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, and it feels like that's pulling that in a way that, like, is, again, doesn't make, doesn't, is it doesn't need to be there, but is organic to the movie we're watching. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love the 80s music videos. It gives me the nostalgia, but it's great with new songs. And yeah. I, I felt the stars were very charismatic. Again, I love, yeah, the, oh, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Kaoru was the name of the, the newer star that came out. And he was like incredibly tall and thin. He had a very Bowie kind of oh, look. Completely. Like, I want to see him in other things. He is, yeah. I mean, he's a very beautiful man. Striking. Yeah. Like, he, he should be cast as that idol in different things like really attractive like really like there was something about him immediately that you're like oh I, I would totally buy his his album and go to his concerts and <laughs> yeah. and like drink his kool-aid type thing like yeah yeah i was definitely into Khan though he was i loved his style Kobe the best Khan. but kauru was very cool yeah. <laughs> in real life i'd end up with with the other guy i bet shingo yeah shingo's got his charm like little little asshole short Shingo, like that. That's who would end up asking me to dance. I know it. <sighs> he, he seemed alright, you know. Yeah. He just to Christine gets uh, gets funeral parade of roses. Adam Driver version two point oh. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I don't know. Yeah, there's I have, definitely I have feelings about that. There are a lot of dreamy, a lot of dreamy folks in these movies. If mm-hmm. you love good looking people. Yeah, for real, visual feast. It really, really, yeah. both of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and just like uniquely Japan, a visual feast. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Ah, what a, what a wonderful uh, duo of movies that I had never heard of and might never have watched had it not been for you, Abby. I'm glad. I'm really glad you both like them. Very yeah. Much. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have any more to say about? Uh, Legend Legend of the Stardust Brothers. I was about to say the brand new Legend of the Stardust Brothers because that was the IMDb I had on my, my screen. <laughs> but that's the sequel, which we can't say anything about because none of us have seen yet. One day. Well, I think we talked about everything and I hope that people are like 
want to seek these out because they're they are remarkably easy to find which is great too because sometimes you find like something's awesome and it's like but i can't tell you how to find that i'm sorry watch it on youtube in seven parts (laughs) (laughs) yes i mean that's one thing when i was trying to when i came up with um some ideas of what to watch like two or three of them they're not available at all like aside from something like finding it on youtube and then like these it made me so happy that legend of the stardust brothers i think it only recently went up on prime good um and then um yeah the funeral parade roses i i, I was so glad it was on canopy too i love canopy everybody at canopy if you have yeah it's great christine did you get it back i got it back Yay! yeah i got it back i got my good, good. got my uh library card sorted out <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is so good. It, like it has an incredibly huge selection of things and things like this, which are really culturally important, relevant movies that you might not ever find and for free. I mean, and some absolute your trash in the best way. Like oh, Canopy oh, has some trash, and I love it oh, for that. Oh yeah, it has a lot of trash. Yeah, you can watch this or uh, yeah, like New York Ripper some... and a double. I bill. was very surprised. Yeah, yeah, you can watch all of that too. But uh, you know depends on your mood but i'm really happy it has this because i feel like funeral parade of roses to me is like a culturally relevant yeah. important movie it's very interesting and it, i feel like it needs to be seen more i so. would agree 100 percent. all right well everybody remember that you can find uniquely japan uh at i guess is it abbydenson.com Yep, and stores anywhere and everywhere, anywhere that has books, just ask your Yay. local book monger. <laughs> yeah. So is it is it uh, would it be helpful too if we were to maybe ask our local libraries? Yes, of course. Yes, please. So yeah, if you don't have the money for a book, it doesn't matter. Just ask your library. Uh, yeah, if you request it into your local library, that's amazing. If okay. you get the book and that. you like it, please do review. Leave positive reviews on Amazon and Goodreads and wherever you like to leave reviews, not just for me, but for all your author friends, it really is helpful. Yes. It doesn't Um, cost you anything. Write a review. (laughs) That you are, you are 100% correct. And I, and I, uh, I work a system here. Um, I have access to both the New York city public library and the Westchester library. So I'm going to request it at both libraries. Oh, thank you. I'm using my con skills for something. Woohoo! Do it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll do the same for your books, Christine. I haven't done that yet, and I will. Oh, I don't even know if that counts. Anybody, if they're self-published, does that count? That's all. It should. I think it can. I think you can get, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. (laughs) I just assumed it didn't, so. (laughs) Well, people should also, if you haven't already, you should also buy Christine Makepeace's books at christinemakepeace.com. Thank you, yes. Yeah. Okay. Do it. Good. Do it all. Do it all, everybody. Uh, All right. Thank you so much, Abby. Remind the people I just said, Mm abbydenson.com. Abby Denson and all the, all the places. Great. Christine Makepeace is out there in the world doing her thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wonderful. Great. So are you. You're doing your thing I'm doing my thing somewhere in my own little. Thanks for having me. It was a delight, a delight. And we hope you all out there are also having a delight. Goodbye, folks. Goodbye. <laughs>